Listening to the Pre-Med Perspectives Podcast. Hello everyone, Ambika here and I have another episode for you guys. Today I'm talking to Dr. Cochran, who is a first year internal medicine resident and an interesting thing about her is she went to med school in Puerto Rico. So Dr. Cochran, how are you today? Hi, I'm doing good. Um, I studied in Mexico, by the way. I studied in the University of Autonomo Guadalajara. Oh, okay, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So let's get started then. Why don't you start talking about your med school experience? Sure. Um, like I said, I study in Mexico in Universidad Toma Guadalajara. That was a really hard decision because being away from my family, because like you said, I am from Puerto Rico, um, but I decided to study abroad. Uh, because I wanted another experience. I wanted to see uh, another country. I want to get that experience one-on-one because that's one of the difference that studying in the States compared to studying in Mexico or Dominican Republic is that they expose you uh, with the patients one-on-one since first year. So I wanted to get that experience uh, that, that I thought that would get me ahead. So once I did, I uh, started uh, in Mexico, I decided to do my last year in Puerto Rico because I wanted to do an internship because it's studying abroad, you needed to do an internship. So what I did, I went to Puerto Rico, did my last semester. And once I did that, I did an internship, study for the boards. Then I got to a transitional residency. Then I did research for a whole year in, in America, um, I mean, Veterans Affairs Hospital here in Puerto Rico. And then I did a uh, preliminary program in internal medicine. And then now I am currently a PGY1 in internal medicine here in Puerto Rico. Wow, that's a really interesting story that you, you've seen so many different parts of the world. Um, I'm sure it helps your experience as a physician in the States too. And it's interesting to hear that in Mexico, for example, there's more patient care within the first year, like, but in the U.S., it's a lot of classroom-based activities the first year of med school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so something interesting that I wanted you to talk about was I heard you mentioned this to me earlier before we started recording, was how medical school in Puerto Rico is actually the same as medical school in the United States. It, It counts as the same, right? Yeah, it's the same because even though Puerto Rico is not a state, uh, it's U.S. territory. And we have four med schools here in Puerto Rico that uh, the classes are all in English. But the only thing that can be a little bit uh, problematic for some is that when you go to third and fourth year is the patient stuck in Spanish. But mostly all the classes are in English uh, and it is accredited. So any person that is in the States that wants to study in Puerto Rico can do it. Um, I believe is a little bit 
uh, cheaper, but the lifestyle here is a little bit, uh, it costs a little bit more. But other than that, it counts like you are studying in the States, of course, yes. That's amazing. Our listeners should definitely look into that as another medical school option, especially if you have a Spanish-speaking background or you're, you took Spanish in college. For example, I'm a Spanish minor. It'd be a great place to improve your skills in Spanish, too, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about your residency. What got you interested in internal medicine? Well, when I when I got to med school, I thought I was doing OBGYN, but you don't get to experience uh, the specialities until you are in third year. So I was all the way uh, thinking about OBGYN, but when I started to rotating in different specialties, I fell in love with internal medicine because it's the specialty that have um, a relationship with the patient a little bit more different. What I found rewarding was the part that, um, for example, seeing the patient entering the hospital uh, for the first time, you see them sick and you see them like, like they need the help and you start caring for them and seeing day by day how they get well until you get them discharged. That part is the part that I loved because seeing them being grateful for all the things you have done, seeing uh, the press they have done and going day by day, knowing them, helping them out. The reward part was amazing, seeing them discharged, seeing them um, being healthy and thanking you for all the hard work. That's when I decided to be in internal medicine. I'm sure that's a great feeling to see the progress that your patient has had and like the fruits of all your hard work. I'm, yeah, I'm sure that must be a feeling that cannot be matched. Yeah. Yeah, so... A quick question I just had while you were speaking is how do you think your schooling in Mexico affected your perspective as an internal medicine physician? Um, Being in Mexico, I saw many patients that were, had low income. Um, When you are there, you are required to do rotations in places that most of them have low income and helping them out um, trying to with uh, uh, less resources that we have in the ho- that I have in the hospital right now has helped me to be a better physician here in Puerto Rico because in, when I was in Mexico I was dealing with less resources I have to be more creative in the things that I did I had to uh, give my uh, my care to the patients in a way that here in Puerto Rico, we have more resources. So I try to do my best with less, but now that I am here has helped me to give care with uh, the resources that I have. So that's an advantage because I use the resources a little bit better. Oh yeah, that sounds like a major advantage. I'm sure like when you have to be creative and work with what you had and then you come to a place where you have everything you need, I'm sure it gave you a very nuanced perspective on how to treat a patient and with the new resources, you can do even more for them. Exactly. For example, 
when you are in Mexico, they teach you since the first year how to do a, a physical exam um, and they try to teach you to do patient uh, physician care one-on-one -on -one, a little bit more deeper because you don't have the resources. For example, you are here and you have uh, an abdominal pain and then you say, okay, well, let's do a CT scan. But in Mexico, that was a little bit harder because you don't have a CT scan available in the place that you are working. So you need to be a little more thorough in the physical exam. So that helped me a lot, especially when when the step to CS was uh, now that it's canceled. But when it was, it was a little bit easier for me that exam because I knew how to do a physical examination more thorough. And that has helped me also here now that I am a, an internal resident, an internal medicine resident. Yeah, your clinical skills must be very thorough, like you said, because you had to work with that and you did not have the option for the scan. So that's, that's a really amazing thing that I, that I did not think about. Yeah. I know CT scans also get expensive for the patient. So I'm glad that you are you have the skills that you're able to do a really thorough physical exam. Expensive and you are exposing the patient for radiation. So that's the things that we don't want. So uh, acquiring that uh, skill uh, of doing a physical exam more thoroughly, it's one of the advantages that I, I know I had uh, studying in Mexico, yeah. Were the diseases or ailments that you saw in Mexico different from what you see in the States? Yeah, they are, uh, one thing they teach us in Mexico are uh, diseases that are, like we say, endemic. But here in Puerto Rico and in the States are a, bit, a little bit different because the, we are a little, we have more resources. And for example, they are, parasites that we see in Mexico that is very rare to see in the States and in, in Puerto Rico. Yeah, I'm sure each country will have its different endemic diseases for sure. Yeah. But that's nice that you have sort of a global education that you would know how to treat different diseases that you may not see in the States. That must be an interesting perspective to have. Yes. Hi everyone, this is Lasia. I hope you're enjoying the episode. I'm chiming in to bring your MCAT moment sponsored by Pillar Prep Test Prep, the home of empowered MCAT test retakers. So today I don't have a specific retaker tip, I just have a general MCAT tip. Before you take the MCAT, it's so important to take all the prerequisite classes. Without having taken the prereqs, it's gonna be really difficult to succeed completely on the MCAT not impossible, just a little more difficult. So make sure that when you're preparing your four-year plan, you schedule the MCAT prerequisites in a way that align with your goal test date. If you are a retaker and you didn't take all the prerequisites before taking the MCAT, consider taking the prerequisites before you take your next attempt. If you want some more information on taking the MCAT as a retaker, visit www.pillartestprep.com forward slash the dash retaker dash course to learn more helpful tips. Use code all caps pre-med perspective for 20% off the course. I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode.
So I just wanted to say congratulations for your first year of residency. You matched. Congratulations. Thank you so much. So have you been enjoying it? It's uh, a feeling of uh, relief in a way because the match, uh, you know, uh, most uh, of you guys that are hearing this uh, are in the stress right now because I believe that the match is this uh, Monday. Um, it's a relief because you are doing what you want to do and the specialty that you want to study and you give your all in that uh, special, specialty. You don't have, for example, in my case, I don't like pediatrics that much. So trying to focus in on internal medicine is a relief because I am really studying what I really love and what I really like. So that sense of relief and enjoying uh, studying more uh, is a reward, yeah. I can totally imagine that like right now as an undergrad, I'm taking all these classes that are very interesting, but when I get to med school and eventually residency, I'll finally get to concentrate on exactly what I want to study. Exactly. So for your residency, can you just run through a typical day in your life as a first year resident? I know it can become pretty busy. Yeah, um, we start in internal medicine, we start at 7 a.m. Um, we start what we call morning report. The morning report is uh, the what we call the floater, is the resident that is overnight taking care of the patient and start to give his report or her report about what happened uh, during the night. Then uh, once uh, the floater finishes uh, giving the, the report, uh, the night floater is the one that is in charge with the second year resident about the admissions. So uh, they usually do around four, five admissions per night, and they present each and every one of the admissions. And we start by uh, discussing the uh, patient history and the past medical history. We talk about family history and social histories and stuff. Then we go through the review of system. Then we go through the physical exam and then we do the assessment, which is really important because we give here the differential diagnosis and then that's where the discussion starts. And that's the thing we learn. Once we have the assessment and the discussions of the differential diagnosis and we discuss of all the emissions of the night, Usually there is a resident that presents uh, a topic. Uh, usually my residency divides the topics from system. Every month is a different system. For example, we are right now in cardiology. So all of the thing, all of the topics that we are discussing in this month, this month is cardiology. Then at 9 a.m. we start doing pre-rounds. That means we start uh, seeing the patients with the PGY2. That's the one that is in charge of the group. We see each and every patient. Then we start to imprint labs, see the lab work, uh, see the cardex, the medications. We start writing uh, the patient notes until the attending arrives. One the attending arrives, we do another, uh, we do rounds. Uh, the attending start to ask questions about the patients, the topics, uh, the diseases that we are seeing at that time. Then we do 
patient notes once again. We and at four, at 4 p.m. we give uh, the report to the floater that's gonna be in the floor and on call. And we at 5 p.m. we finish with the report. And if we if we are done, we can go home. But usually that doesn't happen. <laughs> There's always stuff to do. So usually I get out around. 7 8 p.m uh, and go home but basically that's the rotation that i'm currently right now uh, doing but as a pgy1 you are going to do rotations in the intensive care unit you will have another rotation that will be in the emergency department where the emergency emergencyologist will consult cases that he sees uh, throughout the day, you have that rotation as well. And you have clinics rotations that for me is the fun one because you start at 7 a.m. and finish at 2 p.m. and you just go home, get to study and get stuff done. And clinics for me is fun in a way because uh, most of the, the time you are in different uh, rotations. For example, one day you can be a gastroenterology clinic. The next day you will be a neuro clinic. Then the other day you can go to cardio clinics and stuff. So it's a little bit more fun in a way because you see different clinics and different patients and the time goes by really fast and you get out at 2 p.m. and just go home, study and do stuff. So basically a PGY1 is the hard, hardest year because that's the intern year where you do a lot of work. You get out sometimes uh, pretty late and is the year that you have to learn all that you can because being PGY2, second year resident, you are required to treat patients, even though it's supervised, but you are required to treat patients and they will be under your care. So that's the pressure that I have right now since I almost uh, three months from now, I will be a PGY2 resident. Well, it sounds like a very busy day you have, but I'm glad you're enjoying it. And it sounds yeah. like you, you are very well like trained each day. You learn something new, it seems like. So I'm sure you'll be perfectly fine for your PGY2 year when you have to supervise your own patients. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that intern year exists for um, someone who was just a med student to learn what it really is, that what it takes to become, be a physician. Yeah. So that's, I'm really, thank you for running through your residency schedule. Wow, now I'm getting a little scared for residency. That seems like a really busy day. No, you will be okay. Even though uh, it sounds like a lot of work, uh, you will love it because that you are doing what you love and being there, you feel more happy. You have colleagues that make your day and it's a really nice environment. And if you work, together as a team, uh, it, you will be fine because the even though it's hard work, you are doing 
what you really love and what you really want to do. It's not the same sometimes when you are in med school that, for example, you are you are in the rotation on um, surgery, for example, and you don't like it. You don't like spending time in the OR, and you are seeing like the time goes by really slow, and you don't enjoy it. But in the residency, when you're doing something that you love, something that that is the thing that you chose to do, the times go by really fast, and you love being there, even though you are there many hours because we are there many hours but we love it we enjoy it and we love spending time uh, with my colleagues and, and attendings and nurses and stuff so it gets easy when you do what you love it shouldn't feel like work right exactly mm -hmm. so Thank you for all that. And I know you mentioned earlier that you are really big on guidance. and That's kind of why you have your social media account. So why don't you talk about what guidance you like to give pre-meds and med students and what guidance did you wish that you were given when you were in that position? Yeah, that's really important. Uh, that's why I have uh, my Instagram because when I was a pre-med, I didn't have guidance. Guidance is really important important and for example hearing this podcast or going to pages in instagram of people that have gone through so much uh, can give you a glimpse of what awaits for you so guidance is really important and i and i encourage you guys from the start to get that guidance. For example, it can be a doctor that you admire. It can be a family member that's a doctor because I didn't have that guidance. And that's why at the beginning of the podcast, you heard all the stuff that I did to get where I am because of lack of guidance. Because if I had someone telling me, like, you know, you need to get the MCAT, um, during this time, then you need to start looking for uh, medical schools that you like, and then, and so forth. I didn't have uh, had that, so it was a little bit harder for me. So the first advice that I give you guys is get someone that can help you throughout your career, or at least give you an advice um where to study for example when to start uh planning your step one because that stuff another advice it's money i know most of us have loans we need to get loans in order to study but what they don't say or what they don't teach us in med school is like you need to get money to for example Get, do the test, step one costs money, step two costs money, step three costs money. Um, it's, it's that part of medicine that most of us don't have guidance and we miss that. And that's why sometimes it's hard because if we want to, to apply, for example, to residency, that costs money. So what they don't teach us is like you need to uh, get money in order to apply for residency. For example, every time you apply for 10 hospitals, it's for free. But when you start to apply for the 11th one to the 20th one, 
that costs money. If you want to apply uh, 30 uh, hospitals for residency, that costs a lot of money. So that advice is really important because you get the loan and you believe that the loan is just for paying your, your uh, housing, your food, uh, the school, obviously, but they don't, they don't tell you, you need to get a little bit and do um, uh, a budget for that. So that's really important. So that's why uh, I would love to share my story because I was lacking guidance. And I know like people in my page see the, the advice that I give and I know I am helping others. So, yeah. I totally agree with you. Guidance is so important in this community. That's why I'm glad so many people like you or even our account are there on social media to help students and give them the guidance that they otherwise would not have had without the social media. So I think we have a common goal there. Yeah. I actually didn't know, um, I didn't think about the fact that all these tests and applications cost a lot of money. And that is an important thing that I'm glad you shared because that is something that people need to take into consideration. Yeah, you need to save money if you want to apply as many as hospitals that you like. And that's the, the part that is that no one tells you. You start to, to learn that stuff when they tell you like, uh, you are in fourth year, you need to start doing uh, your match and you are like, okay, so what should I do? Oh, you need to buy a token. Uh, a token? Yes, a token. That costs money. You're like, okay. And then you say, oh, you need a photo for your profile. So that means you need to get a photographer, a professional photographer. So get the photo so your profile looks good. Then they start to tell you, okay, you need uh, your grades from your med school that cuts money and you are like, okay, this keep, keeps going. I need more money. And you get to a point where that's the, the, that's why there is a match because imagine if everybody had the opportunity to apply uh, as many hospitals as they like for free. So you need- chaotic. Exactly, so save money get that goal like if you want for example 50 uh, hospitals get that goal save that money and apply but the other thing is for example uh, in my case that I live in Puerto Rico and I start to apply to the hospitals I need to get a plane stay at a, a hotel eat get to the hospital that I'm going to interview, get a car and move to another state because I have another interview in another hospital. That costs money. So what they don't tell you is you need to save money and have a budget since day one. You need to start uh, medical school. You need to start thinking about a budget that is that it, that it will go straight to the match, even though I know it's four years, but saving, for example, $5 here or there, or $10 here or there for four years can get you the budget that you need. 
Ah, and also, uh, for example, the dress that you will be wearing, the shoes that you will be wearing, the hair that you will be doing. So you need to save money. And that's a part that no one tells you, no one gives you that advice. And I am giving it right now. It's saving money. Make a plan of what you are going to do and what do you want in long run. Uh, also, another advice is like getting familiar with the steps. They are three steps. That's step one, step two, and step three. Since step two, CS, that's the clinical skill one, got canceled. But I believe even though that exam was really expensive, it was like $1,500. And there were only five places that they gave that exam. So imagine a student that is studying in Puerto Rico, getting on a plane and staying at a hotel, get, uh, doing the exam, staying at a hotel and going back. So plan ahead of what you wanna do, like some sort of timeline, because you know that the step one, you need to get it in first and uh, in second year because going to the third year, you cannot pass to the third year if you don't have that step one. And the step one is the first two years of med school in an exam. So that's really important. But Mexico didn't have that restriction. What they did was they, they passed people to the third year without having the step one. And sadly, I have many colleagues that until this day doesn't have the step one. So doing a timeline of when and where you will do your exam is also important because you know, step one at the first two years of med school, I would love to get step two CK finishing and my third, almost going to fourth year because when you are in fourth year, you're going to the match. And if you wanna be competitive, you need to have the steps because if you don't have the steps, you are not competitive in paper. So those things are the things that they don't tell you until you are in the year of taking that, that board. So that's why it's really important to guidance, get someone that, go, that goes along with you and helps you throughout your journey of, of med school. Because if you don't have that guidance, you will miss those steps and it will be harder. And that, that's what happened to me. I did the step one when I was in the third year. Um, at the beginning of the third year, I had my step one. And it was really hard because I didn't enjoy my clinics and my rotations because I was studying for the step one. And if you, you just want to enjoy your rotations because those rotations will let you know what specialty you like and you study for the rotations. And if you don't study for the rotations, you will get bad grades. So focusing on the step one plus rotating plus going to different hospitals is harder and it's get harder because you have the pressure that in the fourth year you need to have step one and step two to be competitive. Oh, so once, cool. yeah, that, that, that's a lot. That, that's a lot of pressure. Like, yeah, oh like if you wanna be competitive, 
Ah, and one thing that they don't tell you, most of the residencies like students that they, they call it young graduates. So that means the younger you are, meaning not age, but, but younger graduate means like you graduated, for example, 2020, and you're going to residency 2021. Residencies have a mindset that the longer you wait to, to the match, they believe that you are not um, uh, trainable uh, because- oh, You know that, that's a really interesting thing. Yeah, because you when you don't match, what do you do? Well, if you have the boards and you have a license, you go to work because you need to pay that loan. Mm -hmm. But the longer you take, to the match, they say, oh, but that he's not trainable because he's already working, he has his style. Um, but most most of the residents see you like that. Most, most, not all of them, but most. But I am so glad that I am in the residency that I am today because it's a special residency in here in Puerto Rico because that I say it's special, not because I, I am there, is because my colleagues, it's like having a second chance. That residency saw something in me, even though I was not a young graduate. I, I didn't stop studying. That was a good thing because I did match uh, the first, the, the, when I, I graduated on 20, 2015, my school was obligating me to do an internship in order to give me my diploma. Once I did my internship, I took a year to get the boards because it was really hard to study um, while in the internship because they pay you really, really low, like $800 per month. Oh, wow. You cannot live with that. No. Uh, there's another internship here in Puerto Rico that pays you $1 the whole year. Oh, my God. And you are like, why do I need to do that internship? But now is that uh, they are not um, having that as a requirement anymore for graduating. But what people don't know, like if you don't get in a residency and you want your license, you need to do one clinical year. And if you want the license in Puerto Rico, you need to do an internship here in Puerto Rico or you can do an internship or a transitional residency that is accredited and counts as a clinical year. So people that want the license because they don't match and want to and wants to work here in Puerto Rico are doing internships that are paying them $1 for the whole year. So imagine waking up at 7 a.m., doing rotations, working, doing patient note, getting out of the hospital at 8 p.m. for $1 a year. So guidance is really important because this stuff, you, you know it when you are finishing medical school. If you don't have the guidance that I am telling you to have because that happened to me. So what I did, I studied for the boards and got got to transitional residency. So transitional residency is a whole year, one year of 
clinical rotations, uh, for example, you go through pediatrics, OBGYN, you go to surgery, internal medicine, elective clinics, a whole year. And that counts as a, a, a clinical year that if I want to work in the States, I can get a medical license anywhere. So, but I, when I rotated internal medicine, I said, no, I want to keep going. So what I did was that I went to the match again. I didn't match that year. So what I did, it, it was either work or go to research because research is also really important. And if you have research in your application, you are an, a competitive uh, applicant. So those things, they don't tell you. Like if you have research, if you work on research investigation uh, or case reports and stuff, you need that because that makes makes you more competitive. But you say you, you start to think, so I'm studying medicine and I have to do research. So that's a lot of work. But it's a lot of work that will pay off because you will be a competitive uh, applicant and you will get to your residency that you want. So I did research uh, in the cardiology department in Veterans, Veterans Affairs here in Puerto Rico. And I applied again to the match for the third time. And I matched in a preliminary internal medicine program. So what's that? So that means that I am a year uh, doing internal medicine, but I, I am not promised a categorical position. So you say, so that means that I am doing internal medicine for four years, not three like they usually do. And then I went to the match again, and finally I get to the internal medicine PUY1 position that I am today. <laughs> so pretty long story, but it's the guidance that you guys need. Yeah, th congratulations on that. You did it. You worked so hard and you did it. <laughs> thank you. So thank you for all this guidance that you've given. A lot of things opened my eyes too that this is something that you really need to start planning ahead with, whether it's funds or understanding a timeline of something. So I just wanted to thank you again, Dr. Cochran, for being on our podcast. I had an excellent time talking with you. So everyone yeah. will see you next week back on the pre-med perspectives.